This is a WTF podcast experience. The whole idea of team, that's got to be the, the most incredible thing humans have ever come up with, is actually working in teams. And, and what you find is that the people that are the most resilient, you know, the most engaged, are people that do work in teams. Welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. So welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarded business podcast. My name's Freddie Bennett. A collection of ferrets is called a business. We are bringing in New Zealand's premier, foremost business leaders, thinkers and contributors to the community to share their stories and tell us how they tame their ferrets. Today we have a very special first guest. We have Josh Turner from Culture Fuse. Josh, welcome to Taming the Ferrets. Thank you so much for having me. For anyone that that hasn't heard of you or doesn't know your business, just tell us a bit about yourself and uh, and the business that you do. Awesome. Well, as a culture coach, what it is that I do is I help uh, small, medium and large businesses um, to lift the engagement and resilience of their staff. And uh, I do that through really a tailored coaching and training roadmap um, to increase productivity and profitability, but also help to create environments where people want to stay. I think that that's a really um, big issue, I guess, going on, is how do we create environments where particularly millennials and Gen Z Mm -hmm. um, will hang around? So, yeah, that's a big... That's really what I'm doing. Amazing. (laughs) And I think the... The whole term culture coach is, is certainly a new one to me and I, you know, I, I came from, from a world of business in England and, and, and worked with a number of companies here in New Zealand. How, how did you become a culture coach? Did you wake up one morning and say, this is what I want to do? Was it, was it a gradual process? How, how did it work? Well, I actually remember back when I was in school, I was kind of known as the music and drama guy. So I've kind of grown up playing in bands and um, I toured in bands overseas and different things like that. Um, but I remember someone asking me once, if you were a teacher in a school, what what teacher would you be? And I I remember saying, um, them say, oh, you'd be the music teacher. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And they're like, oh, you'd be the drama teacher. And I was like, oh, maybe. And then I said, do you know what? I think I would, I'd quite like to be maybe like the careers advisor. And I remember this person looking super puzzled and going like, what the heck? At, at that time, there was almost no such thing as a careers advisor. Um, but for me, I have always been drawn to... Uh, to kind of having conversations about what what makes people unique and what are kind of the innate talents that they have. And um, people have kind of, even at quite a young age, kind of asked me for some kind of guidance, I guess, on terms of how can they uh, do more of what they do best? What would be a good fit for them, you know? And so kind of starting from that point of view, um, when I was uh, I was part of a church community that um, that all took this assessment called uh, Clifton Strengths, which is which used to be called Strengths Finder, and um, I just found myself getting obsessed, and I learned a lot about it. Um, and then all, all of a sudden, I had businesses reaching out saying, "Can you come and coach our coach our staff?" 
And um, I said, no, I can't because I'm not qualified to do that. And so I went and did my qualifications to use um, Gallup's tools, um, Gallup, the leading research company. And um, it's kind of evolved from there. So I've been doing this now for eight years. And um, yeah, it's a really interesting space. But when I first got into it, people were going, what the heck is a culture coach? You know, mm. what is this? You know, what is Clifton Strengths? Uh, but now that has changed quite significantly. I think you're, you're right. And it's funny you say strengths finder because I did a strengths finder assessment. Um, Interesting. Years and years ago. So long ago, <laughs> cool. I can't remember what the what my scores were, but that was one of my first forays into personal development. And I think it it shows how, how business has changed, how work has changed. Where mm-hmm. Maybe 20 or 30 years ago, it was very much a numbers focused, productivity focused. It was just about churning the handle, making products, selling things, serving customers. And I think now there's been such more of a, of a focus on, on culture and performance mm-hmm. and mental health and, and say celebrating people's unique strengths. Absolutely. And, and, and I think the thing is, is if, we, if we talk about strengths, I, like if you and I were walking down the street right now and I asked someone, you know, what is the strength? they would probably answer with, well, your strengths are what you're good at. Mm. Now, that is partly true, you know, but where I don't like that as the description is that you will know that there's things that you're good at doing that you flippin' hate doing, you yeah. know? <laughs> you know, and so the thing is is that for me, when, I, when I'm talking about strengths, I'm, I'm more talking about what are the things that you do, the natural ways of thinking and behaving and building relationships, um, what are those things that you do that strengthen you rather than weaken you, you know? And so when I'm talking about weakness, I'm talking about what are the things that, that make you feel depleted, you know? Whereas for me, when I think that people, when people are working out of their strengths, which way, the way we define that is the five signs that you're working in your strengths is one, that you have a yearning to do it. Mm-hmm. Two is that you uh, experience rapid learning. You pick it up real quick. Three is that is when those times when you experience flow, when you lose track of time, when almost the steps kind of fall away. Mm. Four is when you show signs of excellence to those around you. You people are like, yeah, you're really good at that. And then the fifth is uh, essentially satisfaction. Afterwards, mm. you go, I liked doing that. I'd like to do more of that. And so, for me, I think we are moving into a time where people are looking for more meaning in their work, more purpose in their work. Mm. But say if we say that your strengths are these red threads that are kind of weaved into like a piece of fabric of, of your day and say that fabric is full of different shades of different blacks and greys and, you know, but then there's these red threads and these are the things that strengthen you, mm. you know. Um, what the research shows is that high performance is idiosyncratic. So what that means is that people that utilize their innate talents, their strengths, outperform people that don't. And so um, so for me, I, I'm really helping people to actually understand what are my red threads and how could I actually tailor my work to use more of that in my work? Because um, people might sort of say, oh, yeah, like, you know, what job can give you the opportunity? Well, actually, when they actually do the research on it, it's around 72 to 73% of people actually have enough um, freedom in their work to actually tailor 
to use more of their strengths every day. And I think it's about using them every day. It's not about using them all the time, but yeah. where we can, I think that we should be doing more of what we love. Definitely. I think that's that's such a, a powerful opinion because, and again, looking at um, uh, you know, years gone by, a lot of people would have thought, right, I need to go and, and do that job that I hate to earn some money to live my life. Mm. And, in, and someone messaged me yesterday and they're saying, in 30 years, I can retire. I just want 35 more years of this. I just have to put up with things for yeah, until 2050 and then it will all be okay. And I personally think that's, that's a crime. Absolutely. I mean, like, I, I, to, to, to me, that makes me, that, that almost makes me sad. I mean, because this is, this is my, this is the reason I get out of bed in the morning is I want people to truly find meaning in their work. Yeah. And so to kind of, I mean, this is the thing is, is there's a lot of, now I might be getting in trouble here when I say this, but no, I think that, that, no that, that, here when, when there's carrots <laughs> running around. Everywhere. But, but the thing is, is that, is that, um, you know, there's real misconceptions out there that the answer to, I guess, this whole thing of happiness within work is this thing called work-life balance. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is this, is that what that can communicate to people is, um, and I get, I, I get the, you know, the, I guess the message behind it is that we, we need balance in our life, that is sure. But the thing is, is that we're, what is this balance you know, if, I mean, I, if you found it, it's kind of obviously a, a fleeting momentary thing. I mean, the thing is, is that like what we're essentially saying is that you need to work for your weekend. Definitely. In, in ways that can communicate that. Whereas for me, I'm, I actually want to encourage workplaces where, where people get to experience flourishing mm. in what they do, you know. And I think people can actually create that. Um, I think people will say, you know, when they look at me, I have people say this to me all the time. They'll go, wow, how did you find your perfect job? Mm. And I guess I want to say to that, I, I kind of made it. I kind of made this job, mm. you know. And, and I think that people, you know, actually might have a bit more autonomy than they think to actually be able to make their work that they have now utilize more of their red threads. Mm. You know? I think that that's really interesting, and with because as, as as a secret that we'll share with with the listeners on this podcast, because this is obviously great that we have you and Josh, and, and we purposefully um, design these podcasts. I don't know too much about you before we come in here, but also you don't know too much about me. No, the listeners don't know too much about me either. But I'll start to reveal the, the secrets as as we go through the series. Oh, but please! In terms of my own story, I mean, uh, again, back. Back when I was living in the UK, as listeners can probably tell, I am not Kiwi born and bred. But I, I had the corporate career, you know, with with the six figure salary and the Porsche on the driveway and the yep. granite worktops in the kitchen mm -hmm. and the eighty hour weeks, and I was bloody miserable. Mm. And I was thirty years old, outwardly successful, if you want to call it that, with the same with with the nice car and the nice watch and the two young kids and everything else. But I was depressed I was mm. unhealthy I was drinking too much but I was telling myself you need to put yourself in this box which clearly wasn't designed for me and the longer I ignored my red threads the longer yes. I I said to myself don't worry about you know you're not supposed to love what you do you're not supposed to, mm. to, to focus on your strengths you're here to sit in this office and do these things with these numbers and then you go home and then you just well, in my case, probably drink and sleep and try and turn off at weekends. And then on Monday, 
you go again. And that, I think so many people there are in, are in this life at the moment. And mm. it's about helping them to realise that they, they can create that future, I believe, for themselves. And also, and I'd love to get your, your opinion on this, Josh, a lot of people associate happiness with work and freedom with mm. having to start your own business. And I mm -hmm. also believe a lot of people may not be designed to start their own business. And a lot of people would be amazing, wonderful, talented employees that are an asset to their to their company, but they need to, to be able to create that role, as you say. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is this, is that, is that what, what your red threads are, are so unique to who you are. Mm. You know, we've got literally 5,000 Milky Ways of synapses connections in our brain, mm. you know? Who am I to tell you what you love, you know? Mm. And, and, and so I think the thing is this, is that people do need to go on their own journey to actually identify what these are mm. and actually go, actually, you know what? It's really strange, but, you know, when I get the opportunity to meet someone new, I get a real kick out of that. And if I'm not meeting new people, I feel, you know, I feel like things you know, feel almost bland, mm. you know? Whereas someone else, the thought of having to meet someone new every day, that feels like, oh, goodness, that's such a draining thought. Mm. And for, But for them, they get that real kick out of actually spending time with the people that matter to them most and actually building those long-lasting relationships, you mm. see? And so I think you're absolutely right. I think there are people out there that are built for things like solopreneurship and and and... You know, there is a big emphasis of, uh, emphasis of that. And I think particularly in Tauranga, where, where we are. Mm. I mean, the amount of solopreneurs in the city is ridiculous, Definitely. you know. But it's not for everyone. Mm. And um, I guess I kind of find, you know, asking people, people questions like, you know, what would your ideal manager be? Mm. It's quite an interesting question because some people might say, well, you know, I want someone who I can trust and I want someone who... Uh, provides me with stability. Uh, you mm. know, I, I want someone that um, you know that is is going to give us strong direction of where we're going, going, and and you know those types of things. But then there's other people that go, I don't want a flipping manager. Mm. That's how they answer that question, and I think both are valid. You know, um, but I think definitely we we need to look at actually any big idea takes a lot of people. Mm. You know, and I think that if we are going to be a city where big ideas actualize and we, we we do influence not only New Zealand but the world from this place, absolutely. Um, well, that is going to take a lot of people, and so we do have to think about how do we work together. And I think the thing is this: is that the whole idea of team, you know, mm. um, that's got to be the the most incredible thing humans have ever come up with. You know, is actually working in teams. Mm. And and what you find is that the people that are the most resilient, you know, the most engaged are people that do work in teams, yeah. you know. But then also they can be the people that are the most disengaged when they're maybe uh, working under a manager that they despise, mm. you know. <laughs> uh, and, so, and so, yeah, I think managers play a huge part mm. in terms of how do we... Um, create bigger workplaces that that people can uh, grow and learn and flourish in. Definitely. And and on that that the question of manager and and I fully agree, I think you know that the management and leadership is so important in people's development. Mm. Everyone talks and about 
wanting to be a leader and you see it on, on LinkedIn, on social media, it's, uh, it's seen as a pivotal role. Isn't it? Everyone, you know, the, the, the manager, the person who has the, the responsibility, the person in charge. Do you think there is any particular traits or, or competencies that's important to be, to be a manager here in, in 2022? Well, I have been kind of alluding to some of them. Mm. Um, Gallup did research on 30,000 high performers from around the world. And um, they were going to be making another tool on leadership. And I mean, let's be real. They were thinking, let's make a bunch of money, you know, <laughs> off leadership, right? Because this is a multi-billion dollar industry, mm. you know. And um, they got to the end of the study and they went, oh, crap. Like, this data doesn't correlate. Mm. You know, it doesn't add up, you know. Um, And so they were going, okay, how do we do this? Because essentially they got to the end and they were saying, it's almost like saying to Jim Carrey, you should go learn from Jerry Seinfeld on how to be funny. Mm. You know, they're both funny, but they're very different. Or it's like you wouldn't say to Adele, go for, go learn from Beyonce on how to be a great performer. Yeah. Both great performers, you know, but they're very different, mm. you know. And so what they learned in their study is they actually learned more about followers than they did about, about leaders. Mm. And so they've developed this whole area of what they call followership, you know. And so how do we grow followership? And so what they discovered is that followers need four things, Okay. Followers, uh, people people need managers that are going to build trust with them. Are they someone with good ethics? They need managers that will show compassion, mm. that, you, that I actually matter as a person. I'm not just a human doing, I'm a human being, right? Um, we need managers that provide stability. Mm. Um, that, like, I know what's expected of me, Right. And then the fourth thing is, uh, and this one sounds almost the most fluffiest of them all, but we need managers that will create hope. And I think that it must be created that, you know, we are going to get through this. On the other side of this challenge is something good. And... uh, businesses that I've seen fold during this time of COVID, you know, mm. you know, and I can't speak on all of them, but some of the ones that I, that I experienced that folded um, were, were ones that lost hope, you know, the, 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 the underlying message was this is hopeless, mm. you know? And so I think that this is really important, but I think managers and leaders actually have to create that hope. You know, um, or else, you know. Mm, definitely. And how, if, if someone's listening to this now and they're saying, you know, we've, their business has been hit by by COVID, they they haven't picked things up the way they want to, and they they're feeling hopeless at the moment. How how does someone create hope in in what feels like a, a hopeless situation? Well, I think. I think to create some hope in your organization, um, one is you need to be talking about near future events, you know, like not like maybe at the moment talking about where we're going to be in five years time. People might be like, Flip, man, there's a war that's just started. <laughs> you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But you can talk to me about the next eight weeks, mm. you know, and and talk about, you know, you know, 
doubling down on that shared vision, you know. Mm. But also I think where managers can be um, kind of providing that fellowship is by asking some good questions of their people, okay. you know. So questions like, for example, like, like asking your people every week, so tell me what are your priorities this week? Mm. And then listening. And then asking them a question, how can I help? And then listening. Mm. You know, like, the thing is, is that people, people want to feel uh, noticed. They want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want that more than they want feedback. I mean, there's this big thing about how, how millennials and Gen Z want feedback. And it's kind of just, it's just not true. Mm. Okay, because the same part of the brain that lights up when you get feedback is the same part of the brain that lights up when you're in pain. Okay, so people aren't learning, you know, Um, that they're essentially like surviving through this kind of grenade you throw over the wall at me, you know. And so the thing is, is that they do want attention, though. I mean, we can see that in social media, you know, like between like Facebook, Instagram, and then all of a sudden this thing came out of nowhere called Snapchat, which grew hugely and you know, feel very old in the process. I'm like, I'm still trying to trying to talk tick or TikTok, and then you've got Snapchat. I love TikTok, and I uh, know I need to change it myself. <laughs> but it's you know, all these these new things come out, and, and it's difficult to manage. Yeah, but 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 the difference was with Snapchat was there was no feedback mechanism. There was no like button or dislike. Mm. You know, Facebook and Instagram got rid of their dislike and, you know, you couldn't see how many likes they got because Mm. they were watching Snapchat. And they're realizing, actually, you know, people want to be, you know, they want to be seen. Like, look how I climbed the mount, you know, look at my selfie at the top of the mount. I did it. Right. But I don't want you to like it or dislike it. Mm. I don't want your opinion, you know. And so people want attention, you know. Um, but I think also um, people want to be focused mm-hmm. by their manager, you know, and um, and also they, they they want to do more of what they do best. And so when when you've got managers out there that are actually noticing signs of talent in their people and go, mm-hmm. man, when you do that, when you do that thing, that's great. Like do more of that. Like actually noticing those red threads mm-hmm. in your people. My gosh, it's a hopeful, encouraging environment to be in. Definitely. You know, if someone's actually noticing it. And um, yeah, I mean, we can see that in the terms of engagement scores mm. for sure. That's, that's amazing. I think without being too, too general, maybe, maybe it's just an English thing. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> you know, Kiwi kids are a lot more confident and together and talented than the, the English <laughs> kids. And I'll... I'll take that out in the edit for the for the, the international version, but especially with the number of, of young people, um, and when I say young, I mean you know teenagers and people in their in their twenties. I've spoken to a lot of them, and a lot of people are either saying, "I don't know what I want to do," mm-hmm. "I don't know what I'm good at," or the one that really concerns me is, "I'm not good at anything." Ah, and. And I think that's that's a worry. And, and is this something you hear? And, and if if you do hear it, how? How do you help your your, your clients or, or young people to overcome that? Yeah. Well, I think, for example, taking something like Clifton Strengths mm. is actually a help. You know, it's, it's not the silver bullet that's going to answer everything. Mm. 
But, you know, even finding out your, you know, there's 34 strengths with the Clifton strengths. And yeah. within those strengths are multiple talents within each, which are, mm-hmm. within each theme. And the likelihood of finding someone else with your same top five strengths as you mm-hmm. in any order is to find the one in 278,000 people. And to find someone with the same order of top five strengths as you is to find the one in 33.39 million people. So when you discover that, you often people will go, but everyone does this. Mm. And I'll be like, no, they don't. No, this is actually what you contribute, mm. you know? So actually understanding, like, oh, actually, like, I thought that this was really normal, mm. you know? But actually, no, that's that's not normal. But I, I would also say to your point about, like, just around career, mm. around kind of, um, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well... You know, the reality is, is that people like millennials and Gen Z are going to have multiple careers. Mm. You know, they say around seven or eight, yeah. you know, and, you know, maybe some of the older generations with a different type of value set will just say, well, we've just got to change that and get you back to the value set that we've got, which mm. is, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work a little harder and be committed to one thing. And, you know, mm. um, but the thing is, is that culture is always going to win, you know, culture is strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And so how do we how, how do we work with that? And I think that what I'll be saying is that your career, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a scavenger hunt. <laughs> it really is. And I think it's a scavenger hunt looking for the things that are your red threads. Mm. You know, and actually trying to where you where you can utilize those things. So, like my encouragement to anyone listening, mm. you know, would actually be make a list for your week. You know, actually become a like literally do research on yourself and make two lists. One list that says loved it, and one list that says loathed it. And actually start to notice in your week, what are the things that you do that when you when you do those things, you lose track of time, you pick it up really quickly, you know, you show signs of excellence, you, you know, you experience that kind of flow, all these different types of things. What are those things? And then what were the things that you did that drained you? Mm. And so with those things that drained you, you know, maybe you need to partner with someone who maybe is better than you at that or for them it's you know like for some people they might go oh I hate doing health and safety Mm -hmm. well there are people out there that love doing health and safety yeah you know Um, we've even got the name of strength for that that's the the strength of deliberative you know they love looking at the risks eliminating those risks to strike forward you know and so that's the most powerful inspiring way I've ever heard health and safety described (laughs) by the way (laughs) because usually people just say oh yeah health and safety yeah, that done. But you just like no, it's it's a way to to overcome the risk and drive forward. That's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so as I said, it's a it's a scavenger hunt, and I think that you, you know, all of us as individuals have to actually take more responsibility of what our red threads are. Mm. Like I think that no workplace is ever going to fully hand it out to you on a silver platter. You have actually got to do some work to identify what those things are. Help people understand what you need mm. to actually be your best version and contribute your best. Mm. And actually, that's that's where actually you know organisations are going to get the biggest ROI from their people is when they're applying their strengths. Definitely, and I think there's. I wanted to pick up something around that that you said earlier, and and you used an interesting word, and and it was an F word actually, and and it was an F word that I've <laughs> I've said myself and that I've heard in the corporate world. And that's fluffy. 
and yep. because I think there is a danger and an incorrect danger I must say that, that a lot of companies business owners individuals say I, I get that it's the people stuff it's all you know it's around you your feelings and your thoughts and it's all the fluffy thing and I know a lot of leaders may say you know yes I am gonna. I know I need to listen more. I know I need to be talking to people more. I know I need to be. I need to be making them feel more noticed. But right now, we've just got to hit this deadline, or we've got to hit this sales target, or we've just got a tough period. Well, and they keep on kind of kicking that fluffy can down the road. Um, and we know it's not fluffy. We know it's it's backed in 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 science and yes. research and, and everything else. But what? If if someone is, is is hearing this and saying this sounds amazing, but I've got a manager or, or someone in my life who's saying, ah, you know that 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 stuff just just a bit soft and fluffy. What what can they do to to still get this information and to to, to identify their red threads? Well, as you know, as I say, I was like even starting with the you know doing a love and loathe list mm. would be one. Taking Clifton strengths would would be another. Um, but I think. I think the thing is this is that there it is overwhelming I think mm. in this day and age to be you know put up your hand and say yes I would like to be a manager mm. you know in this time <laughs> like it's not easy mm. to be a manager it's a tough gig Definitely. you know but the thing is this is that I would say that that managers need to actually realize that if they you know if I don't have time to do a weekly catch-up with each person in my team, mm. you've probably got too big a team that you're yeah. managing. You know? Definitely. That would be one. Mm. Uh, but also, you know, the power of questions, again. You know, mm. like asking people, for example, say if you ask four questions a week, you know, t- tell me about last week, what did you love, what did you loathe? Mm. You know? Tell me about that. And then go... Well, now looking at this week ahead of us, you know, what are your priorities and how can I help? Mm. Well, you, what you'd find is this, is that you are going to grow a environment of commitment rather than compliance. Yeah. You know, because when you are giving too, too much advice, mm. you know, people just, you know, our brain goes into kind of like, yes, sir, th- you know, three bags full, sir, mm. and we're not learning and growing. We're not contributing our best, you know? Whereas when you're asking questions that, that cause them to utilize their own dendritic trees in their brain, mm. right? Um, what you find is that actually they can work it out for themselves. You know, managers might not get, like, might not want to do this because they don't want to micromanage, mm. you know? But actually asking good questions is actually causing them you know, to actually figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And, but at the same time, of course, as managers, you know, if there is a process that we're taking people through that needs to be done in a certain way mm. and people aren't following the process right, obviously you can actually fix that, of Definitely. course. Yeah. Of course. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think managers need to also, um, yeah, with feedback, kind of talk more out of, like, their own response. You know, when you were talking to the group about this I got a little bit lost at this point here mm. you know yeah. and talking about my experience was this but you mm. can't sort of say like hey you know all of a sudden as a manager now I've got to be the expert on everything and now I'm going to teach you mm. how to deliver a great speech you know I think so I think there's this a lot of areas about leadership and it's something I used to call authentic leadership that when, especially when people get promoted into uh, they were 
they were part of the team and then they got the, you know, put into a higher position. I think a lot of times managers think that I can't, I can't show weakness, I can't show vulnerability, I need mm. to look like the expert all the time. And, and that could be an extra layer of, of pressure on yourselves. Totally. And it, I think you make a really great point. Um, is that actually on the, on the reverse of that, you know, if you are wanting a place where people learn and grow, well, you know, there's, there's a bunch of leadership books out there that'll say leaders need to go first. Yeah. You know, as you can hear, I'm a person that, like, talks way too much, you know. <laughs> no, but I, but I talk. You weren't in the podcast. But I, but, but I am a talker. And the thing is, I process through process out loud almost, right? I'm a, you know, verbal processor. But the thing is, is that if I wanted to be growing a, a environment where people actually learn, learn and grow, well, if I... You know, if a team I've, I was leading was sitting with me, I could be, hey, I, I've actually realised that actually I, I'm talking a bit too much in meetings, you know, and I can see like no one's getting a word in. And yeah. I'm like, I'm really wanting to kind of turn the volume back on that to kind of promote, you know, everyone getting a yeah. word in. Um, can you guys help me with this? Right? Mm. Now, the thing is this, is that what that's going to do is, you know, next meeting, if I am oversharing, people mm. might hit me up on there and go, hey, you know, you said, you know, about the oversharing thing. Mm. Right now, we're kind of experiencing that, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Mm. But what that also means is this, is that because you as the leader have done that, other people are going to go, oh, yeah, like, this is what I'm working on. Mm. You actually and you actually give permission. They're actually saying, this is how we work. Mm. You know, so that vulnerability piece, you know, is hugely important, but you can do it from a way where you create an environment of learning. Definitely. You know, we need to create learning organizations because mm. that's what humans do. We learn. We do. We learn and we evolve. And we and uh, if we're not learning and growing, we're on the road to becoming a blockbuster or a Kodak, you exactly. know, becoming completely irrelevant. Mm. I think there's, there's so many people... Oh, there. This leads to, to, to another question I had as well. In terms of, I see a lot of people who reach you know, maybe thirty or forty or, or their mid forties, and they stop learning and growing because they think, yeah, this is it. This is my learning journey. We, they may not have defined their strengths as, uh, you know, they may not have defined their strengths as as, as at a detailed level as as you say, but they they say I generally know what I like. I generally mm-hmm. know what I'm good at. Do you think it's ever too late for someone to discover new strengths or new talents, or is it something that we're you know we're we're born with these and, and then we're we're stuck with them for the rest of our lives? It's a good question. I mean, um, can we, it's kind of coming to the question of like you know can we can we change? Mm. You know, um, the answer is yes, you can. Um, it becomes a lot harder after the brain is fully developed, which I think is like for 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 female brain, I think it's around twenty six or something. For the for the male brain, it's around thirty two. Um, so and my so, wife would say that uh, mine is very <laughs> underdeveloped still, but I'm hopefully keeping my fingers crossed for my sixties. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I think the thing is is that is that you can do more of what you love every day, and I think it's like. When I'm talking about using more of your strengths, it's actually not about the percentage, you know, I worked out of my strengths 80% today. It's actually more around utilizing them every day. Mm. It's like, it's the consistency, positioning yourself where you get the opportunity to do that, 
you know? Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and I'd say, like, no one can tell you what that is but you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love this... Um, I love this, this this whole area that's come out around um, how humans happen to be really, really bad at rating other humans. Really? Yeah, we're, we're really bad. So any time someone gives a rating of someone, mm. you know, on their performance yeah. or whatever, what the research is saying is that, is that around 62% of that rating will tell you more about the rater than the person being rated. Really? So this is what we call the idiosyncratic rater effect, mm. you know? And so that's why for me, as a person that I sit and talk about people's talents all day, at the same time, I don't want to assume that I, I've got you figured out, <laughs> you know? People are way more unique than that. Mm. And so understanding that that like actually you need to kind of put a flag in the ground and actually go this is what i bring this is what i love Mm. you know because because you're the one who's actually going to best be able to understand that you know of course we can also help and see parts of each other's blind spots and whatever Mm. but i am not the judge you know judge and jury on who you are yeah you know you actually are the best rater of yourself, mm. you know? So I think we need to take ownership of that. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And I think that's really interesting. There's there's a lot that, that I see as well in uh, you ask people to rate themselves and they could talk to you for five minutes about I'm no good at this and I'm not very good at that and I'm terrible with numbers and I hate public speaking and I can't do this and I'm blah, and they, they keep on going, oh, no. and then you say, but what, what are you amazing at? Mm. And a lot of people really struggle to answer that question. And you're, you're right. Everyone, I, and I fully believe that everyone has got unique talents and strengths and, and capabilities that does make every single, per- every single person special. But mm. asking them to articulate it and, and not only say it to other people, but say it to themselves and believe it. I think, well, that, that's why what you do is, is wonderful because I think we need more and more people like you helping people to understand their unique strengths are special and they do matter and they they are in a place both metaphorically and physically here in Taronga to to make things happen and I think that that's a powerful thing awesome I'll I'll give you maybe one other idea for the listeners out there that go this still still sounds quite hard Mm. yeah to do um Charlie Munger who was who was kind of the um right-hand man to Warren Buffett. Mm. He talks about this thing called inversion, right? And this is a mental model that really helps us to, um, I guess, kind of get clarity faster, Mm. right? And um, essentially what it is is this, is is that instead of going, you know, how could I be happy, Mm. you know, and trying to think about what would make me happy, inversion uh, what you do with that is you go, actually, let's go the reverse of that and go, what would it take to make someone absolutely miserable, right? Mm-hmm. So let's think about what that would be. That would be like, you know, you'd mess up their diet, you'd mess up their sleep, you'd put them around people that drain them, you know? Mm-hmm. You would um, you would put them in a deadbeat job, you know, that they hate, you know? Um, they would... They would um, be someone that maybe would be locked indoors all the time, you know, all these different things. And 
once you get clear on what would make someone miserable, mm. when you just flip those things around the other way, Definitely. you know, mm. and you go, oh, actually, I'm, I'm going to have to have a good diet and I'm going to have to get some good sleep and I need to actually be in a job that has meaning and all these different things. When you, when you do it that way, mm. actually, you, you, when you flip it, you're about 90% of the way. It's amazing. That, you know, you, you just uh, described my thirties there earlier as well, which, uh, which explains a lot of things. But uh, no, you're right, and it's we. There's something around here. We again, if if people would come to us for advice mm. with our own problems, we we tell them what to do. We'd say, you know, you need to get better sleep. You need to love yourself more. You need to yep. be around people who respect you and admire you and make you feel amazing. We could give this advice all day long, and then when it comes to ourselves, we we somehow struggle, and we say, "Well, I, I don't deserve that," or "I will do that, but just after the next project, or the next promotion, or the next house, or the next holiday, or, or whatever it is." And and but I believe it, it's the power of now, and it's about taking these these small steps. It's what what our listeners can do right now today, following your advice, to to make those small changes, to to focus more on on what they're amazing at and, and what gives them joy in life. Awesome. Very cool. I will ask one, one more question before we, we wrap up, actually, and that's always looking to, to the future. And cool. The future of, of Taronga, the future of business in New Zealand, the, the, the future of the world, which is anyone's guess at the moment. But what, what strengths do you think people will potentially need more as we go into 2022, 2023 and beyond? And are there any particular yeah, strengths or talents that, that people should maybe focus on? I think, well, first and foremost, I think people um, should focus on, on their understanding their own strengths and focusing on those. But um, collectively, I think that a strength, um, when I look at the Clifton strengths, one that I think is, I, I think, going to be part of our future is the strength of connectedness. And the connectedness, the connectedness theme has actually uh, got very much a systems thinking approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people, um, we are living in a time where people are, are aware of things like uh, systemic oppression um, and or things like systemic racism, you know, mm-hmm. the, the type of stuff where we go, actually, the system isn't working. Yeah. And I think that we need to go into a time where we start to think about how do we create systems that aren't only a win-win, mm-hmm. you know, I win, you win, but actually a win-win-win. I think we should be going for triple win. Definitely. You know, I win, you win, and the whole thing wins, which includes the environment, which includes actually people's well-being, mm. you know, and, uh, and I think systems are going to play a part in that, you know, but we need to start to see that we are actually living systems, you know, that work in living systems. Mm. And uh, uh, again, I'm going to use that word fluffy again. People see the word, like, see that the stuff is... Um, as fluffy, and I'm going to make it even fluffier when I say that the way to strengthen a living system mm. is through love. And and love, from a living systems biologist point of view, that's mm. such, such a thing, is that uh, love is to treat and see an other as a legitimate other. Mm. So we strengthen that which we legitimize. Okay? And so as we actually grow in love mm. you know in loving of ourselves, and actually legitimizing the people around us that creates a living system that i think people are going to want to stay in definitely you know where people want to grow with so so yeah 
What a wonderful note to finish on, I think, to say, especially in, in the world today, anything that involves more love, more focusing on people's talents and, and, and helping people to do what they do best. I think if we if we all lived in a world where we did what we did best and worked together as one, then um, I think a lot of our problems would um, would be solved. And I want to pick up on, on one thing that you said as well in terms of, of do more of what you love every day. And I think if, if everyone can just hear this and focus on doing more of what they love today, tomorrow, the next day, then then life can be immeasurably better for, for a lot of people. Mm, awesome. Uh, I've got one more question for you, Josh, and this is our... Um, a special uh, section for all of our guests where we ask a mystery question. So the and, and you get to ask the question of the next guest to appear on the podcast. But our question for you, Josh, is if there was a, going to be a movie made of your life, <laughs> which Hollywood actor would uh, would portray you? I okay. I would say this is an interesting question. I feel like. I have a high value for not taking myself too seriously. And I tend to like surround myself with people that don't take themselves too seriously. Um, so I think I'd probably say something like Paul Rudd. Something like that. I can see that, actually. I, I can definitely see that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, cool. No, I love that. Well, we were, oh, we'll get Paul on the phone. Okay, cool. um, When we create the Hollywood production of um, of Taming the Ferrets, then um, then we'll get him on board, and I'm sure he'll do it for free, to be honest, and uh, we'll have him (laughs) playing you, and uh, God knows who's going to play me, but that's a story for another day. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show. If people have been listening to this and they want to get in touch with yourself or find out more about you or your business, how do they find you? Um, you can you can email me at josh at culturefuse.nz or you can go to my website culturefuse.nz and um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from any small, medium or large businesses that are wanting to lift the engagement and resilience of their staff. But, uh, but yes, also I want to take the opportunity to just kind of shout out and totoko uh, Gallup for all of the amazing research they do in terms of in the areas of engagement. And I specifically also want to say that um, I really, really value the work of Marcus Buckingham and what he's doing with um, with Harvard, Harvard Business Review. He's got a new book coming out, Love and Work. So look out for that book. It's going to be a really, really great one. But um, it's really fun to see that the strengths movement is a growing one and um, is going to play a cool part in the future. Perfect. I'm sure it will. And it's amazing to have you part of our future. Josh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being part of Taming the Ferrets. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz.